0: Kirk rung me on the Wednesday, so it was, you know, New Year's Eve when he rung, uh, messaged me, sorry, and um, that, that evening, some of you who are friends with me on Facebook will know I spent the time with my wife and family overdoing the opposite to what many people do for New Year's Eve. We don't go and party, we like to go and just, I love watching the sunset on the end of the year and just talking to Jesus. I love just having a conversation with him, and I can do that in the midst of enjoying that with my family. You know, they're skateboarding around and eating food and and we're just enjoying the time but in the midst of that i can talk to jesus about what he wants to do in 2015. so instead of doing the usual you know trying to figure out and get a new year's resolution on how to be a better dad or improve my work-life balance or maybe stop smoking by the way that's not something i do but it is one i've tried to have in the past and every time i've done that it's failed i don't know about you i don't know how you go with those new year's resolutions But every time, I failed at a New Year's resolution. One year, my New Year's resolution was to have a swim in my pool every day. I made it till June, July, shock horror. (laughs) And I got an ear infection, so I couldn't, all right? I think that's kind of God having a bit of a laugh at me trying to do it in my strength. And um, so I stopped. I stopped doing those. And and as I'm sitting there watching the sunset, which is the clip that we had flowing through before, and those of you who might might have seen it on Facebook... For me it had significance for 2015 and um, what he told me when i asked him what it is that's going to be the focus for me this year and what it is that he wanted me to just push into him for this year um, it was that i was to become a carrier of his presence more that's not to say i haven't carried his presence before but to carry it more and uh, i just said to the lord lord what does that mean (laughs) what does that exactly mean and I also asked him, What do you require me to do that, Lord? Because for me, it was like, I don't know where to start on that all of the time because I fail so often. Um, these two questions are like floating inside of my head. And so I discussed all of that as the sun went down. And um, when I got home that night, I, I looked up a few things. And one of the, one of the things that I got was a, a quote from Heidi Baker. And I love it a lot. And this describes being a carrier of the presence of the Lord. Every believer who longs for the possession by Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, learns to live a life presence-centered. Jesus longs to rest upon not just a few, but a whole generation of unstoppable, fearless servant leaders. Those that are willing to wholly yield to his immeasurable, ceaseless love. How cool is that? Did you get all of that? A whole generation of unstoppable, fearless servant leaders is the outcome. Is what Heidi says. That we're able to yield to his, un, and, you know, his ceaseless love. And I have to confess, it really fired me up reading that that night. And so the next morning, I messaged Kirk back and said, yeah, I'll do it, after I tried to do Moses and suggest a few other things first. Um, I, I said, i would do it. Can you imagine a whole generation of us living presence-centered lives? And so that's what I wanted to bring to you today. Because in this room, we're, there's a whole pile of us in this room. And imagine what that picture could look like if each and every one of us this year strive to live present-centred. That is that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the centre of everything that we do. I know that if I, if, I, if I was to have an honest conversation with every person in this room, that would be our heart's desire. Whether we knew how to do it or not, there might be some fears inside of us, some concerns, but it would be our heart's desire. So I just ask you to take a second right now, close your eyes and picture, just get a picture of what it would be like if this entire church got Holy Spirit presence-centred. Just grab a picture of that. I know when I close my eyes and I get a picture of that, I just get really excited about the things that God is going to do through us this year. So if you're unsure of what a presence-centered person even looks like, I thought I'd grab a few, just, just in case you're not yet convinced that it's something you want to be. So I'll start with the Old Testament. King David, young boy, basically overlooked by his entire family. Sounds normal, sounds about how we feel sometimes, overlooked. But he was called by Samuel... To be the king after god's own heart can you imagine that the king he's he's elevated as the king that was after his own heart that sounds presence-centered to me david was so interested in being a presence centered person he was famous for seeking god's presence david set up a temple that had worshiped 24 7 without the slaughter of animals that was actually against the biblical law at the time And he said this in Psalm 27.4, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and meditate in his temple. That's pretty cool. If we were in David's time, we could have taken two approaches to him. We could have joined in with him as he sought after that presence. Or we could have watched him, like the daughter of Solomon and his wife did, Micah, from the window where she scoffed and scorned and laughed at him and said she was embarrassed by him. Seeing David make a fool of himself as he's danced in his undergarments that the priests normally wear in God's presence. That's the sort of guy David was. He didn't care what people thought of him. He cared what Jesus or the Holy Spirit thought of him. What, What mattered to God mattered to David. The biblical telling of David's life shows me that whenever King David danced in an indignified fashion, in other words, made a fool of himself... He let go of all the fear of what man thought. God showed up. That tells me that our God is not a kind of God that we stick in a box. But it also tells me that we need to let go of our fears. Let's consider Peter the disciple brash and willing to have a go at anything. He failed at almost all of those things that he tried to have a go at. He was often outspoken and saying the wrong thing. He denied that he even knew Jesus when he swore that he would back him through thick and thin. And yet we see him change dramatically with the presence of the Holy Spirit, not too much long after. He spoke, when the presence of the Spirit came upon him, he spoke with power, and a whole crowd, 3,000 of them, came to the Lord. Come on, that's pretty cool, right? That's pretty cool. So he's gone from a failure, most people would not come back from that. Get what I'm saying? They would just be so down on themselves. They've let the Lord down in that precious moment. And within a month, he's led 3,000 people to the Lord. (laughs) I reckon that's really cool. I'll read it to you. As a result, this is is Peter a bit later on, sorry. Later on in, in Acts, crazier stuff happened for Peter. Crazier stuff. Can you imagine that happening to our people in our time? All right, listen to this. As Peter went about his day, people would line the streets. Why? His shadow would touch them and they would be healed. That's how strong the presence sat on Peter. Oh, that is so cool. Okay, listen to this. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed. That's Acts 15.5. How about another one, Saul, who is to become Paul and the greatest ever, in my book, evangelist that's in the Bible. He basically took the gospel all the way to Rome itself and started the formation of the church as we know it. He was a man with a personal vendetta before that, basically to wipe out all Christians. Sounds familiar to us, current uh, group at the moment, doesn't it? And yet, this is God's love. This is how amazing God is. This is how broken we can be to still be used with God. I want to point that out. This is what, this, this is what I really want to point out. On the road to Damascus, <laughs> Saul met Jesus and became Paul. And from there, from there, he, he did extraordinary things. In fact, Luke, in writing about him in the book of Acts, had to give a new phrase to the term miracles. Okay, I like this one. God was performing extraordinary miracles at the hands of Paul. Not just miracles, extraordinary ones. How cool is that? So it's gone to another level again. This is the guy that was killing Christians, by the way. All right? And some of us would just condemn those in the land right now that are killing Christians. And I get it out of our own pain and stuff. But we need to be interceding for them. That they would have a Saul-like encounter of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, what was happening was, what was so extraordinary in these miracles that Paul's clothing would be taken from him. He would be in one place. They would take his clothing to a long way away and they would touch people with his clothing and they would become healed. Such was the presence that sat on Paul that his clothing even got anointed, for want of a better word. To me, that's like, boom. How cool is that? Now, I don't know if any of you guys want to touch my shirt after this. It's pretty hot up here. But I reckon that's very cool that people can get healed just by the touch of someone's cloth. And we've heard... We've heard Ken Fish talk about those things before. So are you sitting in here this morning and thinking at times, I'm not worthy of being a big person for God. All of those stories are of people that didn't deserve God's favour, but were. And you know, in some biblical scholars, they say when the scripture was canonised, that is, you know, when they decided to basically close the book and seal it as one Piece of scripture that's the holy word of God. Some say, and and where I've come from, I guess, in my upbringing is that that's when the miracles ceased. That's when the actions and those sorts of things stopped. So, pretty easy to have a check of that. Let's look across history since the Bible's been canonized and have a look at the amazing things that God has done, not just through revivals, but through people that point and give glory to God. Folk like Dwight Moody, Dwight L. Moody, Even Roberts, William Seymour, John G. Lake, Charles Finney, they go on and on and on. And my personal favourite, this bloke here, that's uh, Wigglesworth, Smith Wigglesworth. I just, (laughs) I love this guy in so many different ways. Now, there's a lot of things, if you read up and see a few of his he did a few things that were a bit controversial, all right? Um, For example, if there was, everything was demonic, so he'd hit it, he'd punch it, all right? So he got pretty aggressive with the demonic. But what I love about Smith Wigglesworth, here's his background. He's the son of a poor farmer. He became an uneducated plumber. So, you know, plumber, tradesman, okay, pretty low on the, the social standings even in that time. He was such a carrier of God's presence that people who caught the train with him, he did not say a word. They're on a train and they would come to him and repent of their sins just because he was in the train. <laughs> He would have a prayer meeting with a number of other Christians and they would crawl out of the room because as, as Smith Wigglesworth started to pray, the presence of God fell so thick, they could not contain it, they could not handle the pressure of the presence of God in the room. They had to get out. That's cool. What about this one? He used to sit when he was really getting a bit on, getting a bit older. He would sit at the top of a large set of stairs, in I think it was Central Park, but in the park. And he'd wait for people to come to the top of the stairs. And of course, most people had a bit of a sit on the park bench at the top, so he'd sit there and they'd just come into his presence. And many times he'd lead people to the Lord, people who were having marriage problems, all of that sort of stuff. It would just be sorted. How good that for an ambush approach? Just sit at the top of the stairs and let people come into the presence that you're carrying. Not bad for a plumber who just sought after God's heart. All right, let's stop talking about uh, normal folk who have allowed God's presence and Holy Spirit to come and rest on them. You know, there's endless books on it. The Bible, it is chock-a-block from beginning to end if you look closely at the Spirit of God coming upon people and the amazing things that they do. It should be no surprise that us at the vineyard are known as people of the presence. You know, and you'd think that as we've read all these amazing stories and works of God through His presence in us as normal people... (sighs) Um, that we would just be so aware of his desire for us to carry him as his presence, to carry the assignment he gives us to carry his presence. But truth is, quite often we're unaware of how deeply he desires for us to carry that. I want to make this really clear. We miss it how much he wants to engage with us like this. Um, You might notice I'm using... um, the Holy Spirit sitting on us rather than in us and I want to just break that down just very quickly Um, it's kind of like a glove that fits over a hand okay now um, as as, um, a person from a, a denomination that taught that that as you are born again you receive the Holy Spirit and you don't get any more of the Holy Spirit it's just how you engage with that this was a hard concept for me to grasp that once you receive the Spirit you have the receive you've got the Spirit So this whole glove sitting on us thing is another whole dynamic that I could unpack and teach on for quite a bit more deeply. But I just want to say this. As I'm talking about this, know that there's the spirit within and the spirit that can sit on us as well as we go about our daily lives. I want to unpackage that a little bit afterwards. But when I talk about that we're unaware of his assignment to carry his presence, what's even sadder is those of us that do know it sadly many of us have not yet said yes and why is this well some of us idolize another time i've talked about a whole pile of other time when god was moving through those people and thus we're blind to the importance of our own calling god's calling us not smith wigglesworth anymore he's gone to be with the father god's calling us So those stories are great for us to read and be inspired, but they're not for us to idolize. It's not for us to wish that we were in a time of revival and the Welsh revival or things like that. Now is our time, right now. God is inviting you into it today. Bill Johnson actually says this about why we so often do not desire to be the carriers of his presence. And he says this, It is one of the devil's primary goals, having us discounting this very moment that we live in. You get that? The moment we live in right now is important. Right now. Forget the past. Right now. Then there's those of us who are very much afraid of what God would do to us if we dared enter into his presence and as a result fall into a place of total surrender. What does that look like? Well, I know for me it was a bit scary. I mean, Think about it, David dancing crazily before the ark. He is the king. He should be walking regally. No, he danced undignified, and I'm pretty sure plenty joined in with him. They partied. I reckon that's pretty cool. But I know as a young person growing up and looking at different things, I was told to fear the Spirit, taught to fear the Spirit. And so I was concerned about people who would get a little bit silly with God. And I would blow it off and I know um, <laughs> my personal story I've had a few of encounters with the Holy Spirit and I can tell you now do not fear the Holy Spirit it is a wonderful wonderful thing and you know someone might be down here screaming and yelling and bawling their eyes out a blubbering mess that's often Bo, my son <laughs> he does he does it good But you talk to Bo afterwards, and I'm telling you now, he will tell you of how amazing God's just spoke to him about a whole pile of things. I want to encourage you, if you are afraid of what the Spirit does to people, can you hang around and talk to them once they come back and want to talk about that? Give them five minutes to recover and have a chat to them about it. My story is, I remember getting blown two or three metres across the room. Now, I can't jump that high. I'm kind of a carry-the-weight-at-the-front-end kind of guy these days, not built for jumping high distances, and I remember in this room right here, no, no one touched me, but I got blown across the room two or three metres and spent like an hour giggling like a girl and bawling my eyes out on the ground that probably looked really stupid, but at the time, <laughs> it's one of the most amazing experiences for me. And I can remember when it happened. I can remember the day and the year. Defining moment for me. The key thing that I've learned from that is that if you, you know... You must go and have a chat with that person afterwards if it's something that you have a fear base with. All right, so we know that the Spirit lives in us, and that He'll never leave us. But like I said before, sadly, many of us do not always allow the Spirit to rest on us, like the glove analogy. The more the Spirit actually rests on us, the more His power can carry to have an impact on the environments we enter into. So I want to talk a little bit about that. When the Holy Spirit rests upon us without withdrawing, it is because he has been made welcome in a God-honoring way. You need to hear that today. So I'm going to give the example of the classic picture in the scripture of what the Holy Spirit looks like, and it's the dove. And... um. If you were right now to have a dove on your shoulder and you were to walk around the room, how would you go about doing that? Anybody able to give me an answer? Without the the dove flying away, how would you go about walking around this room with a dove on your shoulder? Slowly? Slowly? Anybody else? Sorry? Proudly. Proudly. (laughs) That's not bad. All right. All right. Slowly, carefully as possible is probably the common answer. Some of you actually might even have the answer. I'm not sure. All right. But the answer is basically this if you were to relate it to the Holy Spirit, we need to make every step done with the dove in mind. So every step we make in our life, we should be making it with the Holy Spirit in our mind. First and foremost, that's a spirit centered life. We used to have a little peach faced bird. You know, the little colorful birds? They're tiny little things, they're beautiful. Quite easy to tame, reasonably easy to tame. We used to call her Ducky and we trained her to sit on our shoulders. It was fun, it took a while. I've got to say it took us a while. But eventually we got there so that we could actually walk around Westfields with this bird sitting on our shoulder. And I know for a fact, when I talk about us walking around with the Holy Spirit of mine, that's what you did with when, when we had her sitting on our shoulder. We would be conscious that she was there. So we didn't do things to frighten her away. We didn't do sudden movements so that that slowly works neil it's it's actually a it's um it's a hard concept to gather to grasp but just imagine a bird sitting on your shoulder and that's like the holy spirit and we need to be aware of that so there's there's two things that we need to take into consideration when we have the holy spirit sitting upon us and both of these are again from the scriptures both of them are so first one is from ephesians 4 chapter 30 and it says, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit." It's a total shift of our focus, really, rather than focusing on what the person looks like and sound like when the, the spirit is moving upon them. So quite often we can point to the someone, um, and I, you know I'll use Wendy as an example. I know when the spirit's in the room, because Wendy will often give a nice gasp or a what, It's like a whoop. And it's very cool. All right, but rather than focusing on that. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, Wendy, I love it. Start to think about what the Holy Spirit feels like because He's moving in me. So rather than picking up the outside signals from others, what does it feel like when He is upon me? So we, we, um, it's, it's a really hard thing to shift our focus to apply that, to do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, the, do not grieve the Holy Spirit basically points to uh, do, focusing on your sin grieve is a word that means to cause sorrow or stress so basically straight up when we sin and we all do it, I do it too when we sin we cause the Holy Spirit pain and grief I guess that means he withdraws it describes a pain that the Spirit feels in His heart when we do something or allow something into our lives that just stresses Him out. And you know, when that stresses, it's our character that comes into concern there, who we are and who, what we're doing, what we're investing our lives in. This verse is all about us being more consecrated. And what consecrated means is that we're focusing our attention and our love and our th- things we want to do in our life towards Jesus, towards God, setting things aside and putting that first. So the first one there, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, if we want to be Holy Spirit, presence-filled, centred people. The second one comes from 1 Thessalonians 5.19, and it says, do not quench the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit means that you stop the flow. So, you know, good old hose, water going through it, you, you bend it stops the water from flowing through it. When we stop the flow by quenching the Spirit, it is all about the power of God being shut off from flowing through us. We stop God from being able to move through us. The quickest way to do that is to lose our passion for God, to lose our zeal, to lose our desire for Him to be in in, in every part of our lives. For the, for the desire for allowing the Holy Spirit to change everything about us for the sake of those around us and the circumstances around us. When Jesus gave power and authority to his disciples in Luke 19, it was immediately followed by some of their biggest blunders. So we've got an examples in the Bible where Jesus has released this power unto the disciples. You know, they spent time afterwards arguing who was the better disciple. I think that might have grieved the Holy Spirit right there. Um, some of them rejected other people trying to follow Jesus. Oh, they're not good enough to follow you, Jesus. Based on their exclusivity, they were better than them. And then, and then there's James and John. I reckon this one's a cracker. They basically wanted to call fire to come down upon a whole city and destroy it, kill everybody. That's the way to deal with it. I think they might have missed the point. I guess what I'm trying to say to each and every one of us here is, we are going to fail, but it has nothing to do about us failing. It has everything to do with our desire. Our heart's desire to try and try again and to learn the process of how to carry his presence on us with power for longer and longer periods. I know with our peach faced ducky on our shoulder, it took us a lot of attempts before we could actually walk out, drive in a car with the window down and her not fly out it. For us to walk around Westfields with lots of people it took a lot. But it was pretty cool. We were rewarded with some pretty cool times with that bird. Good memories. Seems fi- funny, I know, but it's an analogy that fits. In reading Matthew six thirty-three, he says this. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. This speaks to me about his commission to go and learn how the Holy Spirit moves when he's resting on me. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters than the presence resting in our lives and it being the central part of what we do in everything how cool is that so all of those things that we get told that we have to do in our life the pressure from the world the pressure from the church they're all a whole pile of do do do's the most important thing jesus says is seek first the kingdom of god that's it everything else will come after that it's pretty cool that's a hard one for me to do i'm a doer When God looks to rest on his people, he's looking at a heart. He often chooses the least of all. If you look at Israel, they were a pretty tiny dot of a group of people, nothing special. Look to King David, the youngest son, the wimp, the little, little runt. Possibly, um, oh, there's a number of things they say that could be why David was overlooked. A fisherman, like, like the fisherman disciples. A plumber, or even you so much of the increased favor that we get from God is really according to what we've done with the favor we've already been given. It's a really important point, that one. If we're wanting to move in power, when God God comes and lays his blessings on our lives, what we do with that is actually really important. Think about Moses. Once he accepted the favor he was given, he had a good long argument about it. Despite his own self-belief at the start, he ran with it, doing more and more amazing things. Seriously, come on, think about it. He stopped the River Nile flowing while thousands of people crossed it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's just amazing. Jesus said as he passed the baton on to us to carry his presence in Matthew 28, 18 to 19, he said this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, he stole it back from the devil. In the garden, we gave it to the devil, but Jesus came and he stole it. Well, he didn't steal it back, he won it back for us. Let me get that right, he won it back for us. But he says this, he's got a little power, and so he's saying, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to go out with this stuff we to go out with this stuff. Please get this point. God often chooses people knowing what they are, not sorry, knowing that they are, so knowing that we are the key for touching people's lives around us. Make no mistake. I want If, if you hear one thing today about everything I've got to say, make no mistake. Each of you here are uniquely positioned in this world because of the cry of the people around you. I don't know the people you know. I don't know their relationships. I, don't, I just don't know them. So I can't do it for you. So me standing here is not going to help that. You are positioned uniquely in this world because of the cry of the people around you. He wants to rest his favor on you so that you can partner with him in distributing that same favor. He has shown you get that that same favor he is showing you he wants to show those around you with his power and that only comes when we carry the presence with us and we let it shine seriously how good is that we are chosen by jesus himself to do this it's his heart desire we are chosen I hope you've gotten it, that it's our job to release, be releasing his presence. Remember, we carry his presence. This is, this is actually really important. We carry his presence on us. So we have a presence in us for us, and we carry his presence on us for others. Not ourselves. So we can do this in, in, in a few different ways, all right? So I'll just, I'll just um, go through this and where it's hot. So stay with me. There's a couple of key ones that we can do. And some of these you're probably already good at doing. Okay, the Word. What we say as presence carriers can change the atmospheres we go into. If you're listening to the Father's heart and you're you're Holy Spirit-centered wherever you go, for every situation, and then speaking that out as you go into those places, you are releasing the presence of the Holy Spirit into those places. You are a presence carrier. And you do this as you hear the Father speaking to you about where you are. It takes practice, it's hard. But man, it's exciting when you get it right. So I'll give you an example of one of the times I get it right. I try every time I walk into my classroom at school that I share, by the way, as a high school teacher, everybody gets to use my classroom, it's not mine. It's just a shared room so when i walk into that i go in before my students and i declare that that place is the place of the kingdom i declare that the holy spirit is welcome there and i bind anything of the enemy and i seal the doorway to allow my students to come into the room without the baggage that the enemy wants on them the kids love it coming to my class they tell it all the time you only have to ask dave you know kids do love coming into my classroom and i'm cheating i'm cheating Half the other teachers at my school don't do that, so they're not liked as much as me. It's not me that they like. They like the presence of the Holy Spirit in my room, I'm telling you. <laughs> Alternatively, you can also be a bit like me. Right? Where I've got some strength, I've got weakness as well. You can speak death into a situation. So using our words, we can speak death. And I'm often guilty of it. I need to watch my mouth and be in tune with what the Spirit is saying to me, rather than shooting from the hip and saying things that are not of God, but are just of me. Acts of faith is another one we can do to release His presence on those around us. An act of faith is anything; it was any action on the outside that demonstrates the faith that is on the inside. We can step into this, and we can do. We can, sorry, I'll say that again. We can do this, and stepping out in faith in ministry or even giving up paid work to do God's stuff. Knowing that we're going to have to rely on His provision to get you by. You see, we do it, it's risk, it's high risk. Acts of faith are high risk, because you've got to believe that God's going to back your act. You say things and do things that come from the heart, but you do it outwardly. Risk requires us to take action, not just to receive, it's to give it away. It is scary, um, I'll give you an example um, last year probably the highlight for me in regards to I had a couple of big highlights from Acts of Faith last year that were really cool now I'm not, I'm not great at this but let me tell you but the ones that I've done encouraged me to continue to do this um, and I, one of them was financially, God looked after us hugely financially last year despite um, what we chose to do with, with our work and God just honoured that so that we could be more given to the things of his kingdom last year. Um, but probably my highlight was um, seeing a young person with, a, with a, a destroyed kneecap and going and praying for that and them getting completely healed. That was a pretty big highlight for me. That's a pretty outward, bam, God's real, this time's real, this is so good and I just wanted to go and lay hands on everything I could find. <laughs> I did, I seriously did. It had me that fired up and just thinking about it now, I want to keep doing that. <laughs> Um, but the reality is, I don't always walk in that. Okay, prophetic act. So you can do a prophetic act. This is quite unique as it requires an action that appear that appear, by appearance has no connection with the desired outcome. Does that make sense? Quite often it can be completely random and doesn't look like it makes sense at all. Okay, I've seen this one happening lots at HOTS. And if you want to get better at this, I encourage each and every person to go along and do some stuff at HOTS. It is hot i'm telling you it's good stuff it's scary and you know they often tell they often give a word of knowledge to these people that when you go home and you do x y and z this is going to happen and that's going to be a sign to you that god is real and he cares about you and he's chasing you passionately madly and it's pretty easy to do it hots because you're probably never going to see that person again so you don't have to wreck your credibility with all your mates too quick But it's a good place to practice hots healing on the streets thanks scott Trent and Karen run that ministry. It's over at Woody Point, and it is an awesome place. In fact, hang around, have fish and chips on the beach, and the sun go down afterwards. It's really good fun. Um, where was I? I oh, have no idea. Hang on. Yep, so they go home, and their prayers are going to be answered. Um, what we do there is totally in faith, okay? Um, mostly because we're not likely to see them again. And um, we just got to have faith that, that that's going to happen. Like, a good example is Jesus in John 9, chapter 7, where he tells the blind man to go to the pool of Shalom and wash it, and he gets healed. I mean, Jesus it doesn't say Jesus followed him and saw that he got healed. And, and we know, um, history tells us, that in, in the writing of these Gospels, they went around and interviewed people. So I'm assuming that they didn't even know until months later or years later when they've interviewed him and gone, hey, you got healed, that's cool. All right, let's conclude that. That's a good one. Um... I mean, a few weeks ago, someone called out, uh, one of the words of knowledge in church uh, was that someone has a, a sore toe that's been bruised and damaged, and, well, my toe was black at the time. In fact, it's still black, but it was very sore. It was throbbing. I could barely stand up during worship. And so I thought, well, that has to be for me. I'll go and stand at the front. One of the words of knowledge given to me, or sorry, it wasn't a word of knowledge. It was a prophetic. Go home and wash and swim in your pool, and it will be healed. So I had to go and do that. And guess what? My toe did not feel sore that afternoon. It was like it's still black, but there's no pain. It's really cool. I mean, sure I would have liked it to have not had a black toenail, but the pain was gone, and that's what I cared about. All right, another one, touch. Laying on hands from one to another is one of our primary directives as Christians, the laying on of hands. Hebrews 6, 2, Acts 8, 18, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Is a tool that God uses to release the reality of His world, His presence upon another. Telling of a story for a teacher... Um, sorry, I'm going to tell my story. I've written that. I need to tell you my story of doing that. You don't just have to do that at church, let me tell you. Church is safe and it's a good place to try it. And it's wonderful to lay hands on each other and pray for each other. But I, I, um, I'm getting bolder with this. Listening to the Father and leaning into what He's saying to me... Um, Last year I had a teacher's aide just happening to have a conversation with me in the classroom telling me how that she's been quite sick lately, lost a lot, she'd lost 10 kilos in the last couple of weeks, she's a tiny little thing anyway, she was down to about, I don't know, 40 something kilos, this is a lady in her 50s, and um, she said she's quite concerned about it, I said, well look, I love to pray for stuff, let me just pray for that right now, can I put my hand on you and pray for you, and she said, okay. Now this is in the middle of class, kids are all around, I didn't care, I just prayed for her out loud and she came back to me two weeks later going, I'm healed, totally, I put on 10 kilos in two weeks and, oh, you know, that's, that's one of, that's, that's just, stuff like that keeps happening when we keep pushing into this stuff. I'm no superhuman, trust me, far from it. Worship, not just the singing type, please let me make that clear. This has an unusual, an unusual effect on our surrounding. His presence is released. The atmosphere is changed. It's why we do like to sing a lot. And I've got to tell you, I actually think that's more important than what I'm doing right now. Because you can, you can dig into this stuff and read about this stuff yourself and grow in this stuff yourself at home. You don't need me to stand here and tell you these things. When we get together corporately and we worship, man, that's powerful stuff. Very powerful. Whenever someone despises extravagant worship, like that happened with David and his wife, did you know she was barren? She never had children after that. Barren. So to me, that's kind of a biblical reference to saying, if you want to mock worship, if you want to pay out on extreme extravagant worship, you are going to be spiritually barren and things like that. You need to repent of that. You know, the devil, i got a funny feeling, the devil actually doesn't mind when our worship is lame. Extreme worship exposes the religious spirit in everybody. When we get into it, when we really get into it and let ourselves go before the Lord, that's what I'm talking about. People who are a people of worship, regardless of circumstance, will become fruitful in ways beyond measure. If you are finding that you are low in his presence, worship is a surefire way to invite him back in. It's a good starting place. True, heartfelt worship where you pour your heart out in love and surrender to him. It's not just singing along to the song. It's from the heart where you pour yourself out to them. Please hear this next statement. This is something I never used to understand or believe. We need to be filled and filled again. And an example of that is um, Peter in Acts 2. He receives, he receives the Holy Spirit. And again in Acts 4, he needs to be refilled. There's our, there's our model. It's pretty clear cut. Why? Because all the way through it, he's just been pouring out. He's been pouring out the Spirit. He's just been giving it away. As much as he got, he's given it away, and he needs some more. So he gets another load and he can go out and give it away some more. That's why we get filled up. That's why we get the presence of God come upon us, it's to give it away. So, needing to be filled and filled again is not a sign that something's going wrong, but it's rather a sign that something is actually going right. Who can tell me what the last thing, the very last thing Jesus said to us as a directive, command? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well you know that's a little different to what I've got <laughs> but that's a good one too because um, the one I've got is actually Acts eight, where Jesus ascends and he ascends immediately after that and so you're talking about the one where there's another but it's, it's part of it the end of yeah the end of Matthew that's the one thank you um, so you can pin your pin your one on the last one would you say this is the last one or that's the last one I would have said Acts eight myself Yes, yes. It's after his resurrection. Once before it, yes. Yep, he does say that, and um, I was going to use that piece of scripture. That's one of the ones I cut out. But um, absolutely, yep. So basically, Acts one eight says this: "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you." So yes, it's about power, folks—the power of God, not the power in us, not us. God's power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. My question I want to ask the church here this morning is this. Are we filled to overflow within ourselves that as a church we're filled to overflow with new folk being added daily like it was in Acts 2? Because to me, if I read that carefully that is the result. It's not us having to do anything other than to draw near to the presence of God, but the result is an expansion of His kingdom, which which doesn't matter which one you read. That's my challenge for us this morning, church. So many often get choked up on that word evangelism. Well, this is not about evangelism. It is all about us seeking to be more intimate with Him, to be carriers of His presence to all parts of our lives and watch what He does as we boldly follow His lead. Yeah, the rest is just going to sit on top of that. It'll just happen. Yeah, my prayer for Vineyard Pine Rivers in 2015 is that we might become even more known, even more known as a people of His presence, of His contagious presence, That the doors of this place will be filled to overflow from the community as they too seek to encounter him as we do. That's my prayer for us as a church. Um, Neil, I want to invite you up to come and maybe lead some some worship because I want to call us into a time. Now, if you feel that you want to re-engage with the Spirit and be more of a spirit Filled spirit, spirit presence centered person. I, I just, um, I've asked Neil to have a couple of worship songs that we might be able to respond to that by coming out the front. And in, in a time of worship, because like, like I said before, worship's the easiest way to re engage there. And in that time of worship, have a heart to heart conversation with jesus if you need to repent repent repentance simply means one thing change the way we're thinking so if i've said anything to you today please that's that's resonated or just sort of hits you in the chest i want to encourage you to come out and have that conversation with the lord and become more of a (laughs) a presence centered person Now we do have a set of words of knowledge as well and I want to mention them but I want to do something very different this morning in regards to those words of knowledge. Usually we call people forward and we pray for that. This morning if I call, if this sits with you I still want you to come out the front as well and I want you to engage in a similar conversation with the Lord and allow His presence to just simply heal you. Just allow Him to heal you. You don't need a person to come and lay hands on the Holy Spirit is here folks and he's desiring to get more intimate with you